Today, we're going to be starting a new series called The Glorious Church. And actually, there's going to be two versions of this. There's going to be the YouTube version, which this is. And then there's the regular online Facebook recording that we usually do on Sunday mornings. Uh, they both have advantages. The advantages of the YouTube, of course, is that probably the quality might be a little bit better. Uh, there's not the live audience, uh, but also it's easier to go back in uh, three or four weeks if there's YouTube rather than it's a little bit harder on Facebook. But anyway, we get this, we, we, this, uh, this series is coming from Ephesians 5.27. This is the verse that we're springing off from. It says, talking about Jesus here, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. Or some translations say, the glorious church, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Now, that describes or summarizes what God's intention is for the church in the future. And I'm not sure how many weeks this is going to be. It's uh, I'm still kind of playing around with it, but probably it could easily be eight to ten weeks, this particular uh, series. Um, let me just kind of start off by saying this. Um, the New Testament is divided into two sections. The first section is the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that represents almost half the New Testament because there's a lot in it. And of course, the life and ministry of Jesus, all the Old Testament points toward Jesus' coming, what he was going to do, especially his atonement, his teachings, his death, resurrection. The last half of the church, uh, of the New Testament, is devoted to the church. The, in other words, those who are followers of Jesus, you know, who became followers in the first half, they were brought together in what God began to call the church. And that goes from Acts all the way really to the book of Revelation. So we could say that half the New Testament is devoted to the church. And, uh, and the church is made up of true believers of Jesus. And the church actually becomes, and we're going to talk more about this, an expression here on earth of the kingdom of God. Hebrews 12, verses 22 through 23, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And then it goes on. But the point I think it's really clear is the church is made up of true believers, those who, whose names are enrolled in heaven. And so really, in one way, the bigger definition of church includes all those who've gone before us, that are now in heaven, and all those that are going to be coming into the kingdom of God, and of course, all of those who are living here now. Uh, so the church becomes the representation of Christ here on earth, and it's made up of all true believers. And the destiny of God's people, the church, is the church in all her glory, a glorious church. Now, the church is also called many other things. It's called the bride of Christ because we're going to be living with Christ forever and ever. It's the church that's living with 
uh, Christ forever and ever. That's the last chapter. And, and that's the chapter that we're preparing for even today. Now, today is just going to be an introduction to this series on the Glorious Church. And I'm going to be talking about a lot of different things. And I want to kind of start off by addressing something that I think is very pertinent today. And that is, the church is under attack today. Actually, it doesn't look like the glorious church that God has called us to be, does it? And honestly, in many places, the church is quite, how should we put it, sickly. It is not a representation of Christ here on the earth. It doesn't represent Jesus at all. It doesn't represent his character, his holiness, his compassion, his love. And, uh, and that's, that's uh, something that a lot of us, you know, it, it disturbs us and bothers us. Researchers who are studying what people think about spiritual things have found that many people... In fact, the majority of people, especially here in the United States, like the idea of God and even Jesus. But they have skepticism and even contempt for the church. In other words, their view of the church is different than what their view is of Jesus. And it's concerning that the very place that ought to be bringing healing to people in their souls is now the place where many people have been hurt. And they try to avoid altogether. So I think this is the problem that lies before us right now. We do not have a good biblical understanding of what church is supposed to be. And by the way, I'm talking about Christians here. I'm not talking about the world. Because if Christians are confused about what the church is supposed to be, you know the world is going to be, and we can't blame them. So we're putting it on us. And second we have less of an understanding of how to see the church grow and mature and to kind of move forward from where we are now to where we're supposed to be. Basically, our understanding of the church and how to practically move forward is very weak, if not non-existent in some parts of the church. And that's what this series is all about. We want to correct a lot of wrong thinking about the church. And also very important is we want to talk about, okay, we've got a problem. How do we get from where we are now to the place that God has called us to be? Now, for those of you who've been hurt or disillusioned by the church, I can understand how you feel. The church is not what it's supposed to be. Too many people have been hurt. There's often been an abuse of power. And I'm talking about even in modern times. I'm not talking about back in the Middle Ages. The church has become politicized. That means, in other words, um, it's become more political than it has been Christ-centered or spiritual. There have been wrong priorities. And there's been a leadership that has, immature, has been immature or really even carnal. And the result has been that many, many people have left the church in the last 15, 20, 25 years. Not only here in the United States, but in Europe and really throughout the, the, the West. 
And, and sadly, every year it seems to be getting worse. And I think we have to admit we have a problem. But having said all that, I do want to have a message. I do have a message for all of you who perhaps fall in that category. You know, withdrawing is not the answer. Not only are you hurting yourself, but you're also robbing the church of something very valuable and needed. That's you. Because the church needs you. Okay, a couple other things. Like I said, this is an introduction. The church is not a place. Now, I know we probably all know that here, but uh, sometimes we don't talk like it. You know, even our conversations, oh, where's your church located at? You know, that's really an incorrect way of talking about the church. Our church is, you know, a local church is probably located throughout the city or throughout the county. You know, uh, sometimes we refer to church as a time slot. Oh, when is your church? Oh, it's at 1030 in the morning on Sunday mornings. No, it's not a time slot on Sunday morning. The church is really 24-7, you know, biblically speaking. And these are things we have to kind of just, we have to dismiss this, these false ideas. Sometimes we think of the church as an organization or an institution. Oh, what does the church say about such and such? Again, the church is people. And it's 24-7 and it's wherever God's people are. It's a family. It's called the body of Christ. And that means that there's different parts of the body. They're all working together. It's referred to as a holy temple. It's referred to the church as a holy army, whose weapons, by the way, aren't carnal, but they are, um, they are spiritual, things like the gospel, or love, or prayer, or worship. And most important, I believe, especially as you start seeing the last glimpses of the church in the book of Revelation, the church is referred to as what? The bride of Christ. So one of the things I want to kind of really get across in this first message, this introduction, is the church and Christ go hand in hand. You can't really separate them. They're connected. Um, the church is to be a representation of Christ here on earth. Jesus is no longer on the earth. But yet, Jesus is on the earth through his body. And, uh, and as followers of Jesus, we, are, we represent Christ wherever we are. See, th think of it this way. When Jesus was here on earth, he was limited by time and space. In other words, he couldn't be having a serious, in-depth conversation with Peter and at the same time with Mary Magdalene. Because he was limited in the flesh. He was, he was uh, tied to the human flesh. Likewise, he couldn't be in Jerusalem and in Galilee at the same time. But when he ascended and he left all true believers as a, as a church or his body, we could be at different places. And God's idea is that the church or that Jesus is actually in every family, every town, Every, every place on the earth, every workplace, that's his idea, that there's Jesus is there. And so, so the church is a representation of Christ. So you can't separate them. Actually, I was just kind of 
I've been kind of reading through the book of Acts the last week or so, and, and in Acts 1, I noticed that 120 of the most committed disciples were gathered together waiting for what the Father had promised, the Holy Spirit, and they were waiting in the upper room. And then when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, they were automatically, from that point on, they were referred to as the church. And I think a couple of things we can see from that is that one is that it was committed believers that were called the church. It wasn't just everybody. And also, it wasn't really an option. You know, it wasn't like, okay, today we're going to start a church and it's going to be the first one. It's very important. Everyone's apart. And, uh, you know, please consider be joining. And, uh, you know, and uh, let's, uh, let's, let's kind of talk about who's, who's going to be apart. It, it wasn't an option. It was just assumed that as a follower of Christ, you are part of the church. Going on a little bit further, we can see... And a lot of these things we could get, we could talk more about throughout this series. Again, this is an introduction. But Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We're referred to as his body, the church, and he is the head. And as the head, we obey him. We get our direction from him. We receive new life from him. From him. In fact, we receive the spirit of God from him. We receive power and joy, and love. And in fact, everything comes from Him as the head. We could almost put it this way. If we're not receiving life and joy and love from Him, it probably means we're not connected to the head. Because if we're connected to the head, His life will flow into us. And so, again, we see Jesus and the church, they're connected. Also, we see in the scriptures, the church honors, exalts, glorifies, adores our Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is probably the uh, most obvious example of that. We see the bride or the saints, they're continually what? Praising the Lamb. And who's the Lamb? Jesus, right? He's the Lamb of God. And so it must be here on earth that the church, we are exalting Jesus. Very, very important. You know, Jesus and the church are connected. Also, uh, the church matures as we grow in Christ. And... Uh, and I, I, I want to just take, take a quick look at Ephesians 4. And I sort of hesitate talking about this passage right now because we could go back to here in greater detail later. But let me just read. Uh, let's kind of start in verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. As we go through this, notice how the body in Christ, or the church in Christ, they're always together. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects 
and to him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, again, the body's talking about the church, being fitted and held together by that by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, that's a, that's a, I know that's a mouthful, but notice the building up the body. Jesus is involved in that. Growing into maturity. Jesus is involved in that. Uh, the fullness of Christ. It's... It's being poured into the church. The body growing, maturing. It's in Christ. Also, we see from the scriptures that Jesus tells us that he will build his church. In fact, we can say it this way. What is Jesus doing right now? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Okay. He's interceding for the saints day and night. We know that. But he's also in the process of building his church. So when we as Christians kind of say, well, I don't need the church, we're dismissing a lot of what we're dismissing what Jesus is about today. He's building his church. Matthew 13, uh, Matthew 16, I'm sorry, verse 18. Um, Jesus is, oops, wrong book here. Matthew 16. Verse 18, Jesus is saying, he says to Peter, I also say to you that you are Peter. Literally, that means a small rock. And upon this rock, meaning this big boulder, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And this is the first time that Jesus mentions the church because he's getting close to going away and he's been, he's been, discipling his disciples. And now he says, listen, I'm going to be building my church. And it's going to be built upon me and the gates of Hades will not, you know, overpower it. Ephesians. And I'll say the same thing about this passage as I did the other passage in Ephesians, but we'll get back to this, I'm sure. But starting in verse 20, it says, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Talking about where Jesus is now. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is, the, that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So Jesus is put, he's been put in, on, um, ahead of everything, above it all. And then look verse 22 and 23. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So all the fullness of Jesus, including the authority and power and dominion, everything, plus his love and his joy, his character, all that, the whole fullness of Christ, what's happening He's filling the church with his fill, with the fullness of himself. So we can see over and over, Jesus is connected to the church or his body or his bride. They cannot be separated. And I think this is so important because uh, more and more I hear things 
like, well, you know, uh, it's really my relationship with Jesus. It's like this, you know, it's real close. I don't really need the church. I know everything that they, they're talking about. Or, oh, yeah, they're full of hypocrites. Or, you know, they're, they, I've been hurt by the church. And, uh, you know, this is dangerous thinking. Because Jesus is coming back for his bride. Now, that doesn't mean... He's not coming back for individuals. He's coming back for individuals because they are part of the bride. And we have to see this. And without being rooted in Christ, there is no church or any true church. By the way, you, maybe we should say this too by way of introduction. The true church is made up of all believers. So, we're, so by that we're saying that in a local church, which is a local expression of the bigger church, uh, there probably will be people in there that are maybe pursuing a walk with Christ or maybe, well, you know, Jesus talked about the wheat and the tares. There are going to be some who are just not really truly born again. So it's important when we talk about the church and even the local church, the local church is made up of the true believers in a given area. So often, the churches that we see, and I say this with a lot of um, uh, respect, they're not really churches. They're shadows of what a church is or a replica of a church. Just because there's a church building and just because people gather there at times does not define a church. Actually, uh, I remember back in the mid-1970s, there's a group of us, and we were, uh, we were meeting together. We were ex exploring the Scripture. In fact, we, we met several times a week in Bible study, praying together. But one thing, we, when we first started doing this, we all were part of different churches in the area. And... Um, and we'd go there on Sunday mornings, and then during the week, we would have this intimate relationship with one another and exploring God's Word together. And I can still remember the evening we were all talking, and I'm not sure how it came up, but it was like a revelation. And it was a sobering revelation. It wasn't something prideful or arrogant. But we realized that, you know what? We are probably more of a church than the churches that we're going to on Sunday morning. Just because we go on Sunday morning, that doesn't mean that that's a church. And that was like a revelation. And from that point on, we decided we are a church. We just haven't really realized it. So, I think it's important we sort of understand some of these things is by way of introduction. One other thing I just want to mention, uh, and quickly, the future of the church. And uh, I just want to give... Four verses, real quickly here, that sort of describe our destiny. Just to sort of set the tone for what we're going to be talking about. One, we've already talked about, Ephesians 5, 27. That he might present to the church in all her glory. Our glorious church. Without wrinkle, without spot, or any such thing. Or wrinkle. But that she would be holy and blameless. Yes, that's the destiny for the church. Another verse I want to mention concerning our future. Actually, it's probably already here. 1 Peter 4, verse 17. 
For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, the church. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? I'm convinced that one of the things that God's doing right now, and one of the reasons why we see so much ugliness and things we don't understand about the church, is that judgment has come to the church. Or you could say a purification or a shaking. Those are probably three things that I think probably describe what's happening. And I'm not worried that we're not going to come out of this. We are going to come out of this shaking, this judgment. We're going to come out stronger, more pure, and more in line with what God has for us in the future. More in line with what he's called the church to be. Revelation chapter 19. Um, Verses 7 and 8, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him. For the marriage supper, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. I like that. The bride has made herself ready. So on one hand, we talked about a few minutes ago, Jesus is going to build the church. But here there is a responsibility we have. We need to make ourselves ready. How do we do that? For the next verse, it says, It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen. Linen, In other words, it's our responsibility. Bright and clean. In other words, something that shines. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. We have to start living like the saints. Like the holy calling that we've been given to. We need to start living like God has called us to. And one of the things we're going to be doing in this series is talking about what does the church what is it supposed to be looking at like? And how do we get there? And then finally, Revelation 7, verse 9. Uh, I like this verse. It's, um, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. One of the things that we know about the church, even though there may be a pruning or a shaking, there's also going to be a great harvest at the end. Uh, a multitude that you can't even count. And it's going to be made up of what? All nations and all peoples of the world. And I think that's significant because you don't need me to tell you that the world is increasingly becoming filled with hate, racism, nationalism, things that are just very anti-Great uh, Commission. But in the midst of that, God is raising up or building His church as an example of what love between the peoples of the world can be. And it's going to be a light in the world of darkness. And it's going to attract a lot of people. So, in conclusion, we're going to be looking in this series, this has been an introduction, what does the biblical church look like? Or what is it supposed to look at? And we want to be very, we want to be very honest. It's probably going to make us uncomfortable. And second, how do we get there? In other words, how do we put into practice all these things? 
And it's so easy to say, oh, yeah, well, that's what God has in the future. But reality says uh, this is just the way it is. No, reality says that God has called us to something much greater and purer than what we're living in right now. By the way, is there a cost to that? Yes. And we'll talk about that. Now, just a final thought here. I just want to remind everyone, as we go through this series, it would be easy for us to be almost overwhelmed. Oh, wow, we are so far off the mark. And we do. We have a long ways to go. So, But this series isn't meant to discourage or disillusion us, but it's meant to motivate us to move forward and be the church that God has called us to be. So, Father, we just want to thank you for this time here. Lord, we ask that you would give us great insight and understanding into the church that you're building. And Lord, we just open ourselves to you. We ask that you would uh, speak to us, that you correct us, bring correction, bring inspiration, inspire us, whatever you need to do in this series, we ask that you do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.